they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, June the 23rd. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Um, thank you to all of our supporters. We'll begin with prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O most holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaot. Pleni sun celiat terra, gloria tua, hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini, hosanna in excelsis. Well, thank you for joining us here. And we're going to talk about, can God prevent evil? Someone asked me that question recently. They're like, well, but, but God can't prevent. They didn't actually ask a question. They made a statement. God can't prevent evil from happening. Well, do we have any examples in scripture of God preventing evil from happening? It's interesting. I think we have numerous, but I'm not going to be able to go through them all. So I'm going to start with King Hezekiah. It's the one that I just, I love the most. Here we have Hezekiah, the, the, the son of Ahaz, the infamous Ahaz of Israel, who was so wicked. And his son, Hezekiah, when he becomes king, the first thing he does is he destroys all the idols in the land. As a matter of fact, he goes so far as to destroy the bronze serpent that Moses had made. God commanded Moses. Remember when the serpent, the, the serpents, the seraph serpents were biting the people in the desert and the people were dying? And Moses made a bronze serpent. The Lord told him to make a bronze serpent and raise it on a pole. And anyone who looked on the bronze serpent would be healed. Well, what happened was when the people of Israel started under Ahaz, started um, worshiping all these idols and setting up altars to all these idols, they started worshiping the bronze serpent as if it were a god. And so Hezekiah not only destroyed the false idols and the pagan idols, he destroyed the bronze serpent because it had become an idol for the people. So Hezekiah restores the proper worship to Israel. He restores the priesthood. He reconsecrates and reopens. Ahaz had closed the temple and sealed up the doors. And Hezekiah reopens the temple. Everything is restored. 
he's doing penance. Now, the kingdom of Israel felt the northern kingdom, the 10 tribes had fallen into the hands of the Assyrians. So the Assyrian king had decided to come and make war on the southern kingdom. And so Hezekiah knew that they were coming and he had told his people, well, when they come, when the representative of the king of Assyria comes, don't answer him, make no answer. And so the king of Assyria comes and he says, you know, he speaks to the people in their own language. He says, look, don't let your king tell you that, that he and the Lord, your God, will deliver you because there is no Lord who can deliver you from the, the king of Assyria because the king of Assyria has conquered all the world and all the nations around you. And you're no exception. And you're going to go in, unless unless you make up unless you people come out and make a pact with the king of Assyria. But the people didn't say anything because Hezekiah had told him not to. So, and he heard this and he, he um, Hezekiah sends a note to the prophet at the time who was Isaiah. And then Isaiah tells Hezekiah, be firm, be firm and trust in the Lord because you have been faithful. You're a man of prayer, you're a man of God and God is pleased and he will protect the people. He will protect Israel. Now it didn't happen right away, but um, then, then the king of Assyria sends his troops and they... Um, set up siege works against um, Jerusalem. And again, the, 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 the general sends his, his note to Hezekiah saying, do not let the God on whom you rely deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the king of Assyria has done to all the lands, destroying them utterly and shall be delivered, and you, and you shall be delivered. Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations which my father destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezhev, and the, the people of Eden who were in Talasar? Where is the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Shepharavim, and the king of Henath, or the king of Ivah? So Ezekiah receives the letter and he goes in before the Lord and he says, O Lord, the God of Israel, who art enthroned above the cherubim, thou art the God, thou art the God, thou alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made the heavens and the earth. Incline thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine ear, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Shennacherib which he has sent to mock the living God of a truth, O Lord. The kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods at all, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, I beseech thee, for his hand, that all the king from his hand, from his hand, for that all the kingdoms of the earth, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou, O Lord, art God. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, your prayer to me about Shennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word of the Lord, has this is the word of the Lord. This is the word the Lord has spoken concerning him. 
She despises you. She scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem, whom you have mocked and reviled. Whom? Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and haughtily lifted your eyes? Against the Holy One of Israel. In other words, God's saying, I hear what the Assyria is saying, and they're, they're mocking me. They're mocking me. By your messengers, you have mocked the Lord, and you have said, with my many chariots, I have gone up to the heights of the mountains, to the far reaches of Lebanon. I have felled its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses. I've entered its farthest recesses, retreat. In its densest forest, I dug wells and drank foreign waters. I dried up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should turn fortified cities into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like the grass on the rooftop housetops? blighted before it's grown, but I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in and you're raging against me because you have raged against me and your arrogance has come out onto my ears. I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. So this is in Kings, 2 Kings 19 verses eight and following. And so what happens? So what, so Shennacherib, yeah, he, he conquered all these peoples, but the Lord says to him, wait a minute, don't you know that the only reason you could do that is because I let you, <laughs> that I delivered the people into your hands? It wasn't you. Is it, where's that, 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 uh, there's a verse in the Old Testament says, no sword of their own won the land, no arm of their own brought them victory. It was your right hand. And, oh Lord, it was your right hand for you love them. It's the hand of the Lord that delivers us from our enemies. And so what happened that night? And so then Isaiah goes on, and this shall be a sign for you. This year you shall eat what grows of itself and in accord in the second year, what springs of the same. Then in the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant and out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same way shall he return, and he shall not come into the city, says the Lord, for I will defend the city to save it. And my, for my own sake, and for the sake of my servant David. And that night, the angel of the Lord went forth and slew 185,000 Assyrians in the camp. And when the men rose early in the morning, behold, there were all the dead bodies. Then Shennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and dwelt in Nineveh. So, I hear the music. We're going to take a break. Thank you for joining us. Please uh, share this and let other people know to join us. 
We'll be right back. Don't go away. We have more exciting news from how God prevents evil from happening. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, June the 23rd. Thank you for joining us. Um, so we're talking about can God prevent evil? And I give the example, the first example I'm using here is in 2 Kings, the story of Hezekiah. And when the Assyrians come against him, the king of Assyria you know, tells him, your God can't deliver you from us. And, and essentially, the king of Assyria doesn't believe there's a real God. He just, you know, the, the, the pagans all had their false gods. And so it's, you know, don't you know might makes right. And whoever's most powerful is going to win, whatever. So Hezekiah um, trusted in the Lord. He had restored the proper worship to the temple. He had gotten rid of all of the false idols in Israel, in Judah, not Israel. Israel had already been taken into exile. The Northern Kingdom, the 10 tribes in the Northern had already been taken into exile into Assyria. And so um, Hezekiah trusts the Lord. He, he sends to the prophet Isaiah and Isaiah promises him. He said, no, the Lord, you've been faithful. The Lord is gonna be faithful to you. And that's, you know, sometimes we think, well, you know, why isn't God protecting me from these things happening? Well, first of all, have you asked? Have we been faithful to the Lord? Have we done what the Lord has asked us to do? Have we kept his commandments? Hezekiah keeps his commandments. Hezekiah's father was not a good man. Ahaz gave Hezekiah a horrible example. Ahaz locked the temple. He sealed the doors. And, and he set up all these pagan worship um, altars in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, the bronze serpent that God had commanded Moses to make in the desert when the people were bit by the seraph serpents that God used as a sacramental, as a sign of God's presence to heal people, the, the people had started to worship it as a God. So Hezekiah even destroys the bronze serpent. So we have this, we have this example of Hezekiah and what it means to be faithful to the Lord and to rely on the Lord. Now he's got, he's got Assyria coming against him and Assyria has already conquered many, many nations. So it's like, well, why should I trust that I'm just little me? I, you know, here we are, Judah, this little two tribes in the south of Israel, you know, in, in the south of, and it's just two little tribes left. All of the 10, the 10 tribes in the north were all taken into exile. So why should I, because God is God and we are not. Do we trust God? Do we trust in his mercy? Do we trust in his promise that if we are faithful, he is there and he will be faithful. And do we have any other examples? Well, I think we have lots of examples, but I like the example in Daniel, the book of Daniel. Well, you have Daniel, Ananiah, Azariah, and Mishael have been carried into exile. Now, this is after Hezekiah, and it's under the next, you know, the next kings of Judah. After Hezekiah, there were lots of wicked kings. His son Manasseh was horrible, maybe the most wicked of all the kings. And so um, these three, these four young nobles, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, are carried off into exile when Judah finally does fall to the Assyrians. And they become pages or, or Consul, they actually become consultants to the king. And um, at one point, the king sets up a, a statue that everybody's supposed to worship. Well, Ananias, Hezariah, and Mishael were the um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the Babylonian names given to them. But Ananias, Azariah, and Mishael, they refused to worship the statues. So, first, God prevented the evil of Judah being destroyed, people dying and being carried off into exile 
because of the faithfulness of the king who had taught his people, had brought his people back to God and restored the priesthood and the proper worship, okay? People were turning to God on a regular basis. So now, now when they're in exile, when Judah finally is carried off to exile, you have Ananias, Ezra, and Mishael. They're faithful. And this king there in, in Assyria sets up a god, a, a, a statue that everybody's supposed to worship, and they don't worship it. So he throws him into the fiery furnace. And you can read about this in Daniel 3. And they pray from the furnace and they acknowledge that their fathers have sinned and that what God is, God's judgment on them, that they're in exile is true and right. And they, they identify themselves with the sinful nation to which they belong. And they ask God for mercy. And God sends his angel to protect the men in the furnace. The fire doesn't burn them. And there's an insert in the Catholic Bible. There's an insert. And this is part of the Bible. It's part of God's holy scripture. Um, the Catholic Bible, remember, is the original Bible. And um, at the time of the, the, uh, the Protestant revolt against the Catholic Church in the 1500s, this part, these, these uh, what was called deuterocanonical books, was cast out. And this, this prayer of Azariah in the furnace and the prayer of the three children in the furnace was thrown out of the Bible. It's a beautiful prayer. There's really, I mean, every, every Christian should love this prayer as they walked about in the furnace. Blessed art thou, O Lord, the God of our fathers, and worthy of praise, and thy name is glorified forever. For thou art just in all that thou hast done to us, and all thy works are true, and thy ways are right, and all thy judgments are true. Thou hast executed true judgment in all that thou hast brought upon us and upon Jerusalem, the city of our fathers. For in truth and justice, thou hast brought all this upon us because of our sins. For we have sinfully and lawlessly departed from thee and have sinned in all things and have not obeyed the commandments. We have not observed them or done them. And thou hast commanded as thou hast commanded us that it might go well with us. So all that thou hast brought upon us and all that thou hast done to us, thou hast done in true judgment. Thou hast given us into the hands of lawless enemies, most hateful rebels, and to the unjust king and the most wicked in all the world. And now we cannot open our mouths. Shame and disgrace have befallen thy servants and worshipers. For thy name's sake, do not give us up utterly, and do not break thy covenant, and do not withdraw thy mercy from us. For thy name's sake, O Lord. For thy name's sake, O Lord. For the sake of Abraham, thy beloved, for Isaac, thy servant, and Israel, thy holy one, to whom thou didst promise to make their descendants many as the stars of heaven and as the sand on the shore of the sea. For we, O Lord, have become fewer than any nation and are brought low this day in the world because of our sins. And this is the time. There is no prince, prophet, or leader no burnt offering or sacrifice or oblation or incense, no place to make an offering before you to find mercy. Yet with contrite heart and humble spirit, let us be received. And though as though it were burnt offerings of rams and bulls and tens of thousands of lambs, such many are sacrificed, such may our sacrifice be in thy sight. And may we wholly follow thee, for there will be no shame for those who trust in thee. They're asking God to accept their faithfulness as a sacrifice. Wake up and listen. God, please accept our faithfulness. Lord, help us to be faithful. You can accept our faithfulness as a sacrifice. 
And now with all our heart, we follow thee, we fear thee, and we seek thy face. We do not, do not put us to shame, but deal with us in thy forbearance and in thy abundant mercy. Deliver us in accordance with thy marvelous works and give glory to thy name, O Lord. Give glory to thy name. Let all who do harm to thy servants be put to shame. Let them be disgraced and dis deprived of all power and dominion and let their strength be broken. Let them know that thou art the Lord, the only God glorious over all the earth. There's only one God. And yes, may our enemies know this and may they too turn to the Lord our God. You know, when people hate the Catholic church, we don't know if they're culpable. We don't know if they hate God. And we don't know if they really know that the Catholic Church is the true church founded by God. So we don't condemn them. We pray that they might repent and, and so that God can have mercy on them. So that they would turn to the Lord and know him and know the one true church that he has founded. Now, this prayer of the children goes on. And this is, again, this is an insert in um, Daniel 3 that may not be in the Protestant Bibles. But it's in the Catholic Bible because the Catholic Bible and the Catholic Bible is the original Bible. It was there in the original Bible. And they go on. Blessed art thou, O Lord, the God of our fathers. Blessed art thou to be praised and highly exalted forever. And blessed is thy glorious and holy name. And to be highly praised and highly exalted forever. And blessed art thou in the temple of thy holy glory. And to be extolled and highly glorified forever. Blessed art thou who sittest upon the cherubim and lookest upon the deeps. And be praised and highly exalted forever. Blessed art thou upon the throne of thy kingdom. And to be extolled and highly exalted forever. Blessed art thou in the firmament of heaven. And to be, sing and to be sung and glorified forever. And then it goes on, bless the Lord, all you works of the Lord. Beautiful, beautiful prayer. I encourage you to look it up, pray it. So what happened? God prevented those men from dying in the furnace. Now, later in the book of Daniel, Daniel himself, the prophet, is thrown to the lions. And God shuts the mouth of the lions and he doesn't allow the lions to, to hurt Daniel. And he sends the prophet, Habakkuk, I believe it is, to feed Daniel. Daniel's in the lion's den for three days and he brings food to Daniel. In the New Testament, we have Paul in all of his journeys. And today, in today's reading, Paul talks about all the sufferings he's gone through. Five times he received 30, you know, 40 lashes less one. Three times he was beaten with uh, rods. Um, he was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked three times. He was spent a night and a, a day on the ocean, he, on the sea, shipwrecked. And just all of the things he suffered. He was in danger from false brethren. He was in danger from enemies. He was in danger from the Jews, from the pagans, on every side. And yet God has a mission for Paul. And God does not deliver Paul up to death until Paul has accomplished his mission. And at one point, Paul was in Damascus and they were going to, some people were going to kill him and they have to lower Paul over the walls of Damascus at night in a basket so he can escape. And another point when Paul was brought before, um, it says, uh, Felix at Caesarea and um, Felix leaves Paul in prison because Paul appeals to the emperor because Paul had received information that there was a group of Jews who had taken a vow that they would not eat anything until they had killed Paul. So Paul was there because the Jews had accused him of something. He was in Caesarea. And then the Jews asked that Paul come back to Jerusalem to face trial. And Paul is a Roman citizen. And his nephew had gotten wind of the plan 
in Jerusalem that these men had taken a vow to, to kill Paul and they wouldn't eat anything until they had done it. So Paul appeals to Caesar. He's a Roman citizen. So he appeals to Caesar. So Felix can't send him back to Jerusalem. And I may have the story slightly confused, but it's there in Acts uh, 23 and following. And um, you can read it. And, and, but the reality is, is that God protected Paul. Had Paul gone back to Jerusalem at that point, they would have killed him. But God, Jesus told Paul, he said, no, you, you've given witness in Jerusalem and now you're going to give witness in Rome. And so he will go to Rome. And in Rome, he will witness to Christ. And it will be in Rome that he dies. But he has his missionary journeys to complete. He has his mission to complete. And God protects him. And why? Because Paul is faithful. And remember, in Paul's letter today, if you read the, um, they believe it's 2 Corinthians, but today's first reading um, in the, in the um, it might be 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about all that he suffered for Christ. But he says, I glory in my weakness, for in my weakness is the power of God brought to shown forth and brought to perfection. It's not what I have done. I'm not looking at me. It's like that. Shennacherib, the king of Assyria, took all the glory for himself. I have done this and I have done this and I've done this. And your Lord that you call Lord can't do anything. Well, there is a God in heaven. There is truly one God. And yeah, he's greater than all of the kings of the earth. Don't go away. We'll be back with more on how God prevents evil and then the, the second question, well, why would God per, permit evil? Why does he let it happen? So don't go away. We'll be back. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, June the 23rd. This time goes so fast. We just have two more segments. But I want to um, clarify here that story about Paul that I told in the last segment where Paul in, in Acts 23, Paul is in Jerusalem and there was um, they he comes before the, the, the tribune in Jerusalem and the tribune ends up taking him into the garrison because he was afraid. You know, Paul had, had divided the crowd. He knew he was a Pharisee and he knew that half part of them were Pharisees and half were Sadducees. So he says, I'm on trial because of my belief in the resurrection. And that starts a fight among the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And so the, 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 the tribune goes, sends his soldiers down, takes Paul because he's afraid Paul's going to get torn apart. He knows Paul's a Roman citizen. So he knows he has to protect him with all the force he can. So what happens is um, some men go to the to Sanhedrin and said, look, we've taken a vow that we're not going to eat anything until we kill Paul. So you go to the tribune and say, you bring Paul down and we're going to question him again and we'll, we'll ambush him. Well, um, Paul's nephew, as I said, his sister's son heard of the plot and she goes, he goes to the garrison to see Paul and he tells Paul. And so Paul says to the, to the soldier, he says, take this young man to the, to the tribune. So the young man goes to the tribune and he tells him of the, of the plot. And so what happens is the tribune calls two centurions, two centurions, the centurions in charge of a hundred soldiers. And he assigns two central, two centurions. They're each to take a hundred soldiers. And at the third hour of the night, they're to take Paul to Caesarea to the governor for his protection. So you see, God prevented that, that these men had taken a vow. They wouldn't eat anything until they killed Paul, but God prevented that from happening because Paul's mission isn't done yet. So God protects Paul until his mission is done. And then it goes on. And that's, you can read that in Acts um, 23 following, and then you go on to read about, you know, Paul before Felix and, 
And then again, before Agrippa and Festus and all of that, 20, 23, 24, 25, exciting stuff. But God, God working, God can work in our world. It doesn't matter what the powers of the world plan. God can prevent the evil from happening. God can stop it. And we have so many true stories that come out of wars where people have prayed. World War I, I, uh, I believe it was a platoon, some contingent of British soldiers who prayed Psalm 91 together every day in the trench warfare. And they all got home without, without death. And I think without injury. World War II, you know, the, the, the um, Royal Canadian Air Force pilots whose commander led them in the rosary as they were in the midst of battle and never lost a plane or a man. The, the battle, the American um, naval ship that went through the war combat status without a single casualty during World War II, who they had Eucharistic adoration on the ship. And every man, regardless of religious affiliation, spent an hour in the presence of the Lord every day, just begging God for protection. And if anybody didn't want to participate, they could transfer off. And it, after a while, there was a waiting list to get on that ship. Because there were lots of men who were more than willing to spend an hour in the presence of the Lord every day and ask for protection and ask for his help. And that's it. Are we willing to turn to the Lord and ask for his help? Do we ask him? Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Do we trust that the Lord can protect us? Our own nation right now. We could turn to the Lord. If we turn to the Lord, he will have mercy on us. I can't, I, I'm not a prophet. I can't foretell. I don't know. I do know what God has planned for us. He has planned mercy. He has a, a hope and a future plan for us. He wants us in heaven for all eternity. But in order to do that, we have to keep his commandments. As I read from the book of Daniel, Ananias, Azariah, and Mishael, we're being punished because we didn't keep your commandments. Now, those three men in particular had been faithful to the Lord. But they're identifying with the sin of their people and they're making repentance, they're making reparation for their the sins of and, and we're all sinners. We're all sinners. Some of us worse than others, some of us, um, you know, whatever. God has prevented from certain things happening in our lives that keeps us from certain sins. So God is so good, but nothing can happen that God doesn't allow. So the question is: well, the evil, then why is there evil? You know, if God can prevent evil from happening, why doesn't he? Well, you know, and again, I, the, the reality of free will, God made man in his own image. God didn't need to make man. God was perfectly complete in himself, a trinity of persons, a community of love and life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, pouring themselves out in love to one another and returning that love and perfectly happy. You can add nothing to his glory. We can add nothing to his glory. We can add nothing to his greatness. We can add nothing to his love. And he decides, he chooses to make a world to show forth his glory and to share his eternal happiness with a creature and not just one creature. He made angels first and then he makes men, but he made the angels to serve the men that he would make. And why? Because he intended that his son would become man and his angels would serve this creature, man, who would be composed of body, soul, and spirit. So by nature, lower than the angels but would be raised by grace above the angels because they would be united to God. And then man sinned. And why? Why did God allow this? Well, because God made man free. He gave man free will. And it's interesting. And this is probably in his book, The Problem of Pain. C.S. Lewis, he has a book called The Problem of Pain. You might want to read it. It's a good book where he wrestles with this whole issue. And he says, if you choose to say God can give a creature free will, 
And at the same time, withhold free will. You have not succeeded in saying anything about God. All you've now, Lewis doesn't say this. I don't know if he says this in the book, but all you've succeeded in doing is create a logical fallacy because the same thing can't be true in two different ways at the same time. So if God gave us free will, you can't just willy nilly take that free will away. That goes against reason. God is reasonable and he doesn't go against reason. And so God made us free because God is love and he wants us to love and he wants us to truly freeze to love. Truly, I'm sorry, truly freeze. No, freely choose. That's dyslexia and speech, by the way, if anybody asks. <laughs> he wants us to freely choose to love. And so we have to be free. And so he gives us an opportunity to show that we really love him. We love him enough to give up our own desires and even maybe the needs of our own flesh in order to attain a supernatural end. Because God made us, he didn't make us for a finality in this world. He made us to be in heaven with himself. He made us in the divine image so that we could have union with him. And that becomes clear when God becomes man and Jesus teaches us. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my subjects would be fighting to, to have me released. My kingdom is not here. So we have our hearts set on heaven. There where true joys are. As we live in this passing world, Lord, keep our hearts fixed there in heaven where true joys are. Help us to leave behind the things of this world. And first of all, sin. We have to keep the commandments. We have to live in God's grace. If we live in God's grace, by the way, that brings us a great deal of happiness. When we live a virtuous, moral life and live in God's grace, that brings us tremendous happiness in this world. When we are undisciplined, when we are debaucherous, when we give in to the desires of our flesh, we become slaves, slaves of our flesh. And our flesh is never satisfied. It always wants more. It always wants more. Ask any drug addict. Ask any alcoholic. I can't take enough drugs. I can't drink enough alcohol. Ask a sugaraholic. I can't eat enough sugar to make me happy, to fulfill the desires of my flesh. The only way is to discipline the flesh and say, no, you've had enough. You stop now. And by the grace of God, we can do that. With God's help, we can do that. We can live a disciplined, mortified life a life of virtue, and we can keep the commandments because God will help us to do that. And when we live in the state of grace, by the way, as Jesse and Terry pointed out in their show, no witch can cast a spell on you. And so, but we want to live in the state of grace because it's pleasing to God and it makes us beautiful. It makes us filled with God's grace and we're filled with God's grace. God sees the face of his son in us. We become as beautiful as Jesus Christ, comparatively, as beautiful as we can be. And so we live in the state of grace. And God permits the evil because he gives us freedom. And he's not going to take that freedom away. As Bishop Sheen once said, God could have created, theoretically, he could do anything, right? Theoretically, he could have created a race of automatons, robots. But the problem with robots is they don't love. And God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. God wanted us to be free because he wants us to share in his life. And the essence of his life is love because God is love. And he wants us to share in that.
And so we have to, but we have to use our freedom properly. We have to use our freedom for the glory of God. And by the way, God shares his glory with us in heaven. You know, when we are the saints of God, we pray that his closest friends will persevere, that God's closest friends will persevere in their trials of darkness and aridity. Why? That they can gain for the church and the world the graces God wishes to grant through them and for themselves, the degree of glory that God wishes to share with them. Paul talks about it. I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, a merited crown awaits for me and for all. He goes on to say, for all who will be faithful. And so we fight the good fight with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, with the intercession of the saints and the angels. God has given us many, many. Here we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. We have a whole crowd of witnesses witnessing to us, encouraging us on. Look at Hebrews to, to encourage us on to run the race, to go ahead and discipline our flesh, discipline our flesh so that we can gain dominion over our flesh so that we can live in the freedom of the children of God. We weren't made for debauchery. We weren't made to fall back into sin. We were made for freedom, living a sinful life, living a debaucherous life, giving full reign to the desires of our flesh is not freedom. It's slavery. God made us for freedom, for freedom. You have been set free. So don't take on the yoke of slavery again. And what is that yoke of slavery? Sin. We are free to live in union with God right here on earth. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, nor the heart of man conceived, God has prepared for those who love him. Becomes true right here on earth when we live in union with God. We'll be back with more, and we want to talk about the greatest evil that ever happened on this earth and finish talking about why God would permit evil to occur. Thank you for joining us. Share this with your family and friends. Ask them to join us now. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Again, I want to thank all the radio stations that pick us up. I want to thank our listeners. I want to thank um, the Rumble, Facebook, um, Twitter, Twitter, uh, all of the social media platforms that have us. We have our own website, virginmostpowerfulradio.org. You can listen. We have the free app on the, the iPhone. Please um, share that app. Download that app on your phone and share it with others. Please join, um, have your friends and family join us on Bible with the Barbas. Go ahead and uh, listen to it anytime. Share it when you're in a group of people. Say, you know, I got this, this Bible study here. Why don't we listen to this? And um, so we're talking about evil. We're talking about why can God, can God prevent evil? And we've talked about God preventing evil. And then the question that follows that people say, well, why would he, why would he even allow evil to happen? So, you know, people, well, why did God allow Adam and Eve to sin, doggone it? Why didn't he just stop them? And we have some response from St. Leo the Great says, Christ's inexpressible grace gave us blessings better than those the demon's envy had taken away. So Satan tempted Adam and Eve out of envy. His envy took away the blessings of the preternatural gifts that God had given to Adam and Eve that were above and beyond their nature. And the blessings that we receive 
in Christ are greater than the preternatural gifts. St. Thomas Aquinas wrote, there is nothing to prevent human natures being raised up to something greater, even after sin. God permits evil in order to draw forth greater good. And that's why St. Paul writes in Romans 5, 20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And the exultant, it's the Easter hymn um, in the Catholic Church, oh, happy fault, which gained for us so great a redeemer. The interesting thing about Paul's, um, in Romans, you should read that, Romans 5. He says, now, just because I say where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, don't go tell people that Paul said to go out and sin so there'll be more grace. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> what I'm saying is, yes, sin has abounded. There is evil. God permitted Adam freedom. So Adam had to choose. He had to choose whether he was going to, it was his choice. And this is what we have to admit. We all need to take responsibility for our actions. Each one of us, we need to take responsibility for our sins and for our misdoings, even if they're not sinful. There's times that, you know, maybe it's not a, a, an outright sin. It's not a breaking of the law, but it's uncharitable. So we need to um, take responsibility for that and say, no, I've, I sinned. It was my fault. The devil didn't make me do it. Nope, didn't happen. I'm responsible for my sins. And I repent of them. And I'm sorry. And here's the deal. St. Thomas Aquinas talked about this repentance, you know, that, that grace could raise us to a, 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 a higher, higher. Grace can raise us. As a matter of fact, grace raises us to union with God. Union with God. So yeah, sin took us away from union with God, but grace restores us and raises us to union with God. And so we want to um, realize and recognize. Thomas Aquinas once said, he said, what if, you know, when we commit a mortal sin, we lose everything. We lose all the virtue that we've ever practiced. We lose all the merit that we've ever gained. And it's not like we're not gaining merit. God gives merit. He attaches merit to our actions and God can do this. And he does it freely because he shares his glory with us. But if we commit a mortal sin, we lose it all. Everything that we had done in our, it's all gone. So he says, what happens after we repent? What, where are we? Are we, do we have to start all over from the very beginning or, and he says, it depends on the purity and the intensity of our contrition. So beg God for the grace of an intense and pure contrition for sin. So that whenever we sin, our contrition, as Father William Wagner calls it, it's the back door, as it were, to heaven. Because our contrition can actually catapult us beyond where we were in the spiritual life. We may have gained tremendous strides in the spiritual life. And then we get proud for a moment, commit a sin, and we lose it all. But if we really humble ourselves before God and have a pure and intense contrition for our sins, it can catapult us into a whole nother level of the spiritual life. So now, why would God prevent evil? Why would God permit evil? He could prevent evil. He could permit evil. He allows man free choice. Do we ask him for protection? Do we ask him to stop evils from happening? But there's another question. Why did God himself choose to suffer evil? What? God chose to suffer. God is God. He can't suffer. The son of God became man. And in his human nature, yes, he could suffer. And he suffered betrayal. He suffered Denial, he suffered 
injustice. He suffered being called a devil. He suffered all of his life. He suffered. He suffered from people not believing him, from people not accepting who he was. And then in the end, he suffered on the cross. He suffered his passion. And why? The greatest evil that ever happened on the face of this earth was the killing of the Son of God in his human nature. The second person of the Blessed Trinity in his human nature really experienced death. When Jesus died on the cross, when his human nature died on the cross, the second person of the Blessed Trinity remained united to his living soul and his dead body. That's why his body didn't corrupt in the grave. The second person of the Blessed Trinity, God, was still united to that dead body. And why? Why would he do that? Because God desires us to live with him in heaven. He desires something greater. Greater for us. He desires us to live in union with him and to share his happiness in heaven. And so he died, Jesus Christ died to bring about a greater good, redemption of the world and the possibility of eternal life. For God, this is a great good because he desires man to be beautiful, to be in his image to live in union with him and to live in union with him, not only in time, but for all eternity. So this is what we strive for as Christians, as Catholic Christians and all Christians, all other Christians too, should strive to live in union with God. This is our desire. We want to live the life that God has meant for us to live, a life of union with God. The life I live now is not mine but it's a life of faith in the son of God who came and gave himself for me. God sent his son into the world that all who believe in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. John 3, 16 and 17. God's desire is our eternal salvation. God's desire is for our greatness, our glory, our good. It adds nothing to God that he save us from ourselves and our own corrupt way of thinking and believing. We want to leave behind all encumbrance of, of the things of this world. First of all, sin, get rid of all sin in our life and live that life of union with God. And this is why Jesus gave the church and the seven sacraments, you know, in the old Testament, God established a call, his temple, his holy people. He established a priesthood. He established sacrifice. And then when Christ came, he is the perfect sacrifice. And he established a church, one church. And in that church, he gave seven sacraments, seven channels of grace through which he would give grace to his people. And anyone who is saved is always saved through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, the one mediator between God and man. And he uses the church as his instrument on earth to bring salvation to mankind. So anyone who is saved is saved through the mediation and merits of Jesus Christ and his church. And baptism, he established baptism for the remission of original sin. And, and if we're not baptized as infants, if we're baptized as adults, all sin 
that we have ever commit is remitted in baptism. Confession for those who sin after their baptism. So we can confess our sins and return to God and be reunited to him. Holy Eucharist. So that we could actually receive God as the food, not only for our souls, primarily for our souls, but for our bodies in the form of real food. Jesus is not present in the bread and the wine. After the consecration of mass, there is no bread and wine. It is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, his risen, glorified body, blood, soul, and divinity, the Godhead. The God-man is really present under the appearance of bread and wine. He is not in the bread and the wine. He's not. There is no more bread and wine. There's only an appearance. But that appearance is because we couldn't approach his glory. You know, when Moses saw God and spoke to him face to face, he would have to veil his face after he came out of the the tabernacle because the people were afraid to go near him. When the apostles saw Jesus on the Mount of Tabor and the cloud overshadows them, they fall down dead. They're frightened. When John the evangelist sees Jesus in the book of Revelation, he falls down as though dead. Okay, so we can't enter the presence of God without a veil right now in our human state here on earth. So God veils his presence, Jesus, the son of God, really present in the blessed sacrament under the appearance of bread and wine, feeds our souls and our bodies on his own flesh and blood, risen, ascended, glorified flesh and blood to give us the strength to resist sin and to grow in grace. The sacrament of confirmation, where we receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit in baptism, but the fullness of the Holy Spirit, even an infant dying, who hasn't been confirmed, is supposed to be confirmed. And any priest attending to the family and ministering to that child should confirm that child. He has automatic permission. He doesn't have to ask the bishop to confirm the child because the church does not desire any of her children to enter into eternity without the fullness of the Holy Spirit, which is the fullness of Christ. So confirmation. He gives us the sacrament of marriage to sanctify family life because family life is supposed to be an image of the Godhead the, the, the life of God and the Trinity and of the relationship between Christ and his church. He gives us holy orders to give us priests so that we can have the mass so we can have confession so that the sacrifice of Christ, which was offered once for all is perpetuated for all of time because the victim who immolated himself is no longer dying, but lives for all eternity as active immolated love. Read revelation five, the lamb who was slain still bears his scars and anointing of the sick. So that when we're sick, as in it says in the scriptures, call on the presbyters to pray over you that you might be healed and prepared for death. And I, it's come to the end of the time. I ask you to share this program with everybody. Thank you for joining us on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you to the radio stations who pick us up. Thank you, our benefactors, those who pray for us, who volunteer to help us. Thank you, those who offer your sufferings for us. Please share this with all your family, all your friends, all your coworkers, neighbors, everyone. Let's bring people back to Christ by charitably sharing the gospel and rejoicing and being joyful in the Lord and praising God for his goodness and his mercy and all the blessings he has bestowed on us. Join us again, please God, next week on Bible with the Barbers.